Well, the saying behind every great man, there is a great woman. And that is incredibly true when it comes to professional cyclists. We've talked about doing this episode for a long time and many of you have asked for it. So today we chat with Gemma Port, wife of recently retired Richie Port to give us the lowdown on what it is like being a wife of a professional cyclist. All right, you asked for it, and here we are. Gemma Port, welcome to Bobby and Jens. <laughs> thank you. I, I Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to this podcast. Our listeners have asked for this. We've been mowing it over a couple times. Um, and just for our listeners to know, Gemma has given up her free time as this is the time that her little one is napping. So uh, we got to be... <laughs> We, we may get interrupted, but that's uh, adding to the authenticity of this. So, um, <laughs> Gemma, I, I want this episode to be about you. I will try to keep my bias of being a huge fan of your husband uh, to a minimum. But <laughs> yeah, let's let's hear a little bit about you. And, but you know, maybe before you got married to that cyclist guy that you live with. Yeah. Uh, so from Manchester in the UK, originally. Um, yeah, I grew up here all my life, really. Um, I've got a uni degree. Um, you kind of forget what you did before. It's so weird because I actually ended up answering a few questions for a video that they'd done on Richie when his um, career was coming to an end. And they asked the same question. And you just automatically go to answer from when you've met them. You just forget so much from before. So, yeah, I played sports. Um I had met Richie through Team Sky, so that's kind of where my career had kind of ended up. Um, I kind of started there as admin and then just, I don't know, just kind of got stuck in really and the role kind of grew with me. Um, and I was there for pretty much five seasons at Team Sky. Uh, so knew Richie from when he first started the team, but we didn't get together kind of till 2014, I think. And then, yeah, twenty. It we kind of went quite quite quickly. Um, within a year, we were kind of living together, married. Um, and yeah, so I kind of finished with Team Sky because it was getting a bit tricky doing that living in Monaco. Um, and yeah, so had a couple of years not really knowing what I was doing in Monaco. And then now we've got two gorgeous kids, and we've just left Monaco. And we're about to kind of start the next chapter in um, Australia. So when you finished your university and uh, looking for a job, you ended up with Team Sky. Um, was that a conscious choice of you to go into cycling as an admin or it was just the first job that came along? Or how did you end up yeah. in the cycling world? Um, definitely not a conscious choice at all. I knew nothing about cycling. Um, I'd kind of, um, I'd gone into like temporary admin roles when I first left uni, just because there wasn't anything that was kind of taking my fancy to start off with. Um, and we were sat around after a hockey match one day and my friends were kind of joking about the fact I didn't have a real job as they were calling it. <laughs> and one of my friends um, just brought up that she knew that Team Sky had just done a round of interviews and I think they'd not found anyone from the round of interviews they'd done. So she was like, why don't you send your CV in, see what happens. So I did and went for the interview. And I remember 
we sat in the stands of the velodrome and I remember Helen, who was going to be my boss, asking me the question, like, do you know much about cycling? And I had that kind of moment where you're like, oh, what do I say? Like, I was like, am I honest or do I kind of like embellish a bit? So I decided to go with honesty and I was like, I know nothing, but I learn fast. We'll see what happens. And yeah, got the job. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire, I will admit, because as admin, obviously, you're doing minutes of meetings. So I was like thrown straight in. And I just remember all this jargon being thrown around. And obviously, all these places as well that I've never been to, all the races. And I I used to have to record the meetings so I could go back and listen to them again, because all the accents as well, like so many different accents that I'd just not been around. And some of the stuff I'd have written down, my bosses used to sit and read through and just laugh at some of the stuff I'd written down. They were like, yeah, that's not what we were talking about. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a baptism of fire for sure. (laughs) So what year was that that you started at at Team Sky? Was that 2012, 2011? 11. 11, 11, yeah. yeah. Yeah, February 2011 it was when I first started. I, I remember that walking into the belly of the beast there at the Manchester Velodrome and yeah. you and Helen and, and Fran, you know, yeah. it was um, quite an experience. You ladies definitely took care of a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> so if it's not too personal, like, was it a little bit touchy with with? starting a relationship or finding out that you had feelings for a rider? And if so, was that kind of the the signal for you to say, you know, I don't want to deal with this. I, I better leave to, to separate these two worlds a little bit? Yeah, like I must admit, we actually spoke about this, Richie and I, in the car the other day. I can't remember what. I think we'd heard a rumor about someone getting together in a cycling team or something. And we were talking about how frowned upon it is. Um, especially in sport, like it's kind of, I don't know, it's just really frowned upon girls getting with like the athletes. But then in normal life, I think it, the statistics of like how many people get together with someone from works like insanely high. But yeah, in sport, it is massively frowned upon. So to be honest, it was the last thing I wanted to do. Um, But yeah, to be honest, because of my role and because I didn't really have that much kind of face-to-face contact with the riders, um, it didn't, it wasn't that much much of an issue. Like I very, very rarely went to races. Occasionally would go to the odd training camp if I needed to do something. Um, But yeah, so because I wasn't face-to-face a lot, it wasn't too big an issue and the team took it really well. They were actually kind of quite helpful with me. So when we, they kind of let me move my role to Monaco for a while. Um, so I think it was the start of 2015, I moved to Monaco um, and I worked out of their base there for, I did six months full time um, and then went part time just as I was slowly handing over the different parts of my role. And then I finished up um, in the October um, of 2015. Um but yeah, no, it's it's a hu- like hugely frowned upon, really. Um, so we were definitely really nervous, and I I'd said no quite a lot to begin with, um, 
And I remember we were, when we eventually was like, right, okay, we're going to give it a go. I remember me still being like, oh, I'm going to get sacked. I'm going to get sacked. <laughs> and I remember Richie <laughs> ringing Fran. And I was flying back from Monaco. I remember having these missed calls from him when I landed. And I was like, oh, no, what's wrong? And he rang me. I was like, I've rang Fran. It's all fine. She said it's not a problem. And I was like, what? And like literally whilst <laughs> I've been in the air, he'd rang one of the bosses and um, asked her if it was okay for us today. And thankfully, because <laughs> I was like, I could have lost my job. I could have literally lost my job whilst I was in the air. Um, but yeah, thankfully it was all okay. <laughs> so um, for the romantic uh, ones amongst our listeners, when did that first spark uh, jump across between Richie and you? Now that you just said you hardly ever meet the writers. When was that first moment where you looked at each other and you looked a second and a third time and... When, 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 and how did that happen? Um, we've cut, we've always got along. I think Brits and Aussies, I think the humor is just quite similar. So we've always kind of gotten along. And even though I didn't have a lot of face to face time, I, I dealt with clothing after I, that kind of got added onto my role at one point. So I dealt with them quite a bit, um, especially when they switched um, clothing supplier. Um, so I was dealing with them quite, but probably not till like. Um, There was one year I went to Paris, it must have been 2013, um, and spent a bit of time with him there. Um, and then, yeah, it was kind of 2014 in particular, because Richie was really sick in 2014. And um, I remember um, Fran coming into the office one day and being like, right, we, Richie's like just, he's been really sick, he's not right, we kind of need to cheer him up and look after him a bit and they'd brought him over for a load of tests and whatever and she's like I need you to just be a chauffeur we don't want to just be sticking him in taxis the whole time she was like I need you to like drive him around or whatever <laughs> take him out to dinner kind of looking back feels like a bit of a setup now but it wasn't <laughs> um so yeah I just looked after him for the whole like three four days that he was there and it was yeah during that time in particular He always says there was, well, we both do, there was a moment. It was actually where I kind of slightly crashed my car into a fence. <laughs> I remember reversing into the space and ever so slightly tapped it. He'll tell you I crashed, but ever so slightly tapped the friends. And um, he was like, did you just crash your car? I was like, no, no, I tapped the fence. <laughs> I just remember I was like <laughs> giggling. And yeah, that's kind of the moment that kind of pinpoints in our head. <laughs> <laughs> I that's a great question Jens I was going to ask the same one because you know I, I love I love your husband to pieces but he doesn't come off to me as having much game if you if you know what I mean so <laughs> that's that's a great story but you know so the introduction let's let's face it um professional athletes or men in general, and I'll put myself right up there, we're just a bunch of big babies, right? What were some of the challenges that you had to learn to live with being with a professional cyclist? I mean, you had been in that administrative role and probably heard, you know, gosh, this guy is high maintenance, that guy's, you know, a little bit easier. But, you know, when, when you did get together and you did move in together, what, what are some of those challenges that yourself and other wives of professional cyclists had to kind of just get used to? Um, there probably wasn't much in terms of Richie, to be fair to him, when I first moved. It was more like um, the lifestyle change with me moving countries 
that was probably where I struggled the most. Um, yeah, life with Richie was fine. Probably more when we got kids. I think for him being able to switch from that kind of, let's face it, you've all got to be selfish. You're not going to get to where you are without being a bit selfish. And it's having to switch from that kind of selfish athlete mindset over to dad mode and helping around the house and stuff. So that's probably in terms of me and him that's probably been the main struggle, just him doing that switch. And even you as well, because obviously they're away so much, you get yourself into, I used to always call it like a survival mode routine when he's gone. And then when they come home, that then totally changes because you've you kind of let go of that routine because you're like, oh, I've got help. But then they're still going out on the bike for like four to six hours every day and whatever. So then you kind of almost become a bit rubbish because you've let go of that routine. Like it's a real kind of tricky balance. Um, The coming and going, it's like the changes, yeah, from the coming and going that's probably the hardest. Um, And yeah, when I first moved to Monaco, I did struggle quite. But that's why I left my job, really. Um, Because a lot of the people I knew in Monaco didn't work. And I just had no social life, no no kind of friends, really, because everyone did stuff during the day and I was working nine till five. And that started to take its toll because I'm used to being from this big group of friends back in Manchester and kind of losing that was a big, big adjustment. But then even then, leaving my job as well was a massive, massive adjustment. Like I didn't don't think I realised how much that would hit me. You kind of like feel like you've lost your... Almost your like sense of purpose a little bit. You don't really know. You kind of feel like you're floating a little bit. Um, so yeah, there was some big, big adjustments in there <laughs> over the years. So you didn't really fall into the role of the uh, players' wives or girlfriends. Like, oh, all my job is I decorate the flowers every day, right? <laughs> you, I, from my understanding, you, you wanted a job to have your own life, your own personality, right? But then with kids, it's hard to be an athlete's yeah. wife or partner plus having kids. That's a full-time job. There's, I mean, I see it with my wife. There's not much chance to, to have <laughs> any work. You know, yeah. you just have to keep your head above the water and breathe before you actually uh, start swimming again to, 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 you know, get the kids to school, pick them up from kindergarten and so on. Did you have a daily routine then there developed um, when Richie was gone for like, okay, 8.30 at school, 9 a.m. at kindergarten? Or how did you get along on your normal daily life? Yeah, um bit different because my kids are still quite young so like we didn't we've not got we're about to go into that kind of school routine um so yeah not a lot of routine to be honest um it's quite tough to get your kids into crash in monaco um so yeah we had um luke has been in a couple of mornings a week but yeah we just kind of i'd try and get out every morning with the kids somewhere um the, it's there's weirdly not a lot four kids in Monaco considering how many kids there are um so when we even thought about kids that was one of our things we're like we kind of we want to be out of there by the time the school age um we always we're both from kind of upbringings where you've got big gardens you've got streets where you can ride your bike and places you can go to do stuff and Monaco is just not that place for us so we always kind of knew we wanted to 
to go somewhere else, wherever that may be, once they were at school age. So yeah, we've not had much routine and that's probably one of the things we're looking forward to now that he's finished. Well, let's talk about the kids for a second. Um, yeah. So you have two kids, Luca. He was yeah. born what year? 2018, about five days before Tour de Suisse. <laughs> oh, gee. And and then Eloise was, was born during the Tour de France, right? Yeah, yeah, because of COVID, they obviously, we thought, because Luca was like, we weren't happy with his due date. Um, we were like, oh, this is kind of really not when we wanted to be having a child. Um, so we were like, right, the next one we're going to plan so much better so we got the due date for Eloise. It was mid-September and we're like, not perfect, but okay, we'll take it. We're like, it'll work. Maybe we can get him to finish his season a bit earlier. And then obviously COVID hit and it all just went to pot. <laughs> um, and when they released the new dates for the Tour de France, I was like, ah, oh, like could not have picked a worse time. <laughs> so, but it was his last year with Trek and and he'd already decided he didn't want to be leader of any team after that year. He wanted to step step back and be, kind of fall back into that domestique role. Um, so straight away in my mind, as soon as the dates came out, it was just like, there's, there's no way around it. He needs to do that last tour. I think if he hadn't, that would have played on our minds so much more than him not being at the birth. Um, so yeah, we kind of had a conversation straight away and... Trek, to be fair to them as well, were really good and straight away was like, what do you want to do? Kind of left it in his hands a little bit. But we were like, no, it's his last year. He needs to give it one last shot. And yeah, we're kind of glad we did now <laughs> he got onto that podium. But it must have been a big uh, call, a big decision for you as well. You know, he is your, your husband, your partner, your support. And to let him go uh, hundreds of miles away and he couldn't even come home quickly at night because he has to start the next day again. Did you have uh, your parents or his parents there to help or you, any siblings they could help you? you? You have a brother or sister that could help there or how did you manage then giving birth and that first stressful week with a newborn baby and another baby at home? What was your yeah, support I, um, network like? Um. Well, to be fair, we've got a good group of girls over there. Like, they're the kind of girls that would drop anything if you rang them. So I kind of always knew I had that. But also I'd spoken to my mum and dad and we'd arranged for them to come out for, I think they were coming out for about three weeks. And um, I think I'd arranged for them to come out just over a week before Eloise's due date. Um, and then they were going to stay for a couple of weeks afterwards to kind of help out. But then I um, got preeclampsia and had to be induced. And I remember the doctor telling me, and I was like, like sat there trying to work out the logistics of it all. And because I remember my doctor thinks I'm insane because <laughs> um, they were supposed to fly out, I think, on the Sunday. And this was like the Wednesday when we'd found out. And um, I remember saying to the doctor, like, can we not just wait like a few days? And he was like, you've got preeclampsia. He was like, 
your blood pressure can like go through the roof at any moment. He was like, no, we cannot wait a few days. He was like, you've, he said, I'll let you go home tonight and sort things out and get sorted. He's like, I need you in by 11 o'clock tomorrow. I tried, tried convincing him to wait an extra day so I could get my parents in, but he was like, nah, you've got to be in at 11 a.m. tomorrow. So I ended up having to change mum and dad onto the, the flight the next day, getting friends to take Luca in the morning. I had another friend who was going in for a scan, so she was going to drive me in. So yeah, my friends looked after Luca during the day until my mum and dad arrived and then they kind of took over. And I just stayed in hospital by myself because I was more concerned. I don't, you, you kind of mum instincts just take over. I was more concerned about Luca being settled than me being on my own. So I'd kind of just said to mum, just stay with Luca, make sure he's happy and before you come to me. And nothing, to be fair, happens very quickly when you're being induced. So, so yeah, they sorted Luca out that night. And then the next day um, was when my mum finally came into the hospital and um, with me. I remember being shouted at at one point as well because um, the girl who was having the ultrasound, it's actually Caleb Ewan's wife, she'd come in with me and she was like oh after my scan I'll just come and say hey and like see how you are so she'd come in to visit me but obviously it was covid times they were being quite strict on everything and one of the nurses had like come in and was like going like you shouldn't have people in here and was like kind of shouting I was like like she's just been in for an ultrasound she's already in the building like it's not like we're bringing extra germs in kind of thing and she was like, no, this is not the rules. Like, it's only supposed to be, like, husbands and partners. And the, we had the Tour de France on the TV, and I just, I was not in the greatest mood for it. And I was just like, that is my husband on the TV. <laughs> I was like, he cannot be here. She's just come in for two minutes to check him, okay? <laughs> so she was like, mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez Louise, from Manchester to Monaco to having a baby during the COVID year when your husband is racing the Tour de France. I tell you, you you ladies can do so much more um, than, than us guys, that's for sure. But when you just mentioned you saw your husband on TV, um, my wife used to tell me horror stories about her, especially during the Tour de France, how stressed she got, especially when it was coming in for a, a sprint finish or something like that. Um, when when you're watching your husband on on TV, are you like totally stressed out or are you watching? Are you paying attention to it? Or what what is going through your head when you're when you're watching? Because my wife had to watch me and the Tour de France, not once, but twice in an ambulance. And both of those times were in a time trial and it was totally my fault. But let's face it, Richie had some bad crashes in the tour. Um, what was it like emotionally for you watching him have those crashes sometimes basically in front of the whole world? Um, I don't think it was too bad in the grand scheme of things. I know some people who can't watch at all. Um, and to be fair, like I've, I did fall in love with cycling once I started working with it, but I'm not one of these who turns on right at the start. Like, I'm usually like a 4K to go kind of girl. <laughs> um, so I'll generally not watch to start with. I'll go and do whatever, keep myself busy. And then when I do turn on, um, 
I don't, the day, days where he's not, it's the days where you think they might be going something, I think that I get more stressed. So like it'd be a, a climber's stage where I'd, I'd where he might get a chance at something that I'd probably m- be more stressed. So I used to try and find, and kind of need something else to occupy my brain, whether that would be like some, some daft, like a Sudoku game or something on, on my iPad. Or I actually quite liked giving other wives commentary, like, whenever Richie used to be up against Garant Thomas, I used to always message um, his wife and be like, are you watching? And I'd like give her commentary. It's just something to kind of occupy your mind a little bit so that you're kind of watching it, but not, yeah, you're kind of taken away from it a little bit. And so, yeah, I used to do that. But most of his bad crashes, because he he doesn't tend to crash going uphill, touch wood. So I generally wouldn't be watching at your phone. Oh, and I, I remember the year he had the bad crash in 2017, I think it was at the tour. Um, I was actually on my way. I'd just landed at the airport, just got into my hire car, and I was about to drive to the rest day hotel to see him. And um, my phone was playing up and I couldn't get the sat now to work properly. And I was like getting all stressed trying to find where I was going. I'd just pulled in to try and work out how to get, get where I was going. <laughs> And then my phone just started going nuts. And I was like, oh, this is way too early for him to have won the stage. (laughs) And there's only one other reason that you're going to get this many text messages. And I remember just out of luck, the first one I read and just said, it was like the worst kind of text message to send. It just said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And to be honest, it just made me angry to start off with. I was like, why would you send that to anyone? Like, why Like, why would that be your message? So I think I literally just sent quite a snappy reply and was like, I'm driving, I'm not watching. And then I got another reply from the same person saying, he's conscious and moving his legs. Oh. And I was like, oh, if someone's confirming that, it is not good. And I can't remember... I can't remember who I rang. I was like racking my brains thinking, right, who's going to be watching the race? Who's like 100% going to be watching? I think it was Sam Bennett's wife I rang. And I was like, you need to tell, like, I've just received these text messages. Just tell me what's happening. And um, you could like hear the panic in her voice. And I think she even cried on the phone to me because <laughs> she said to me afterwards that I think Sam was with her. Maybe he hadn't done the tour that year or maybe he crashed out or something and was going, you can't cry on the phone to her. And like, she's trying to work out what's going on. And um, yeah, so then I was a bit like, don't really know what to do. I think I ended up going back to the um, airport. <laughs> I remember being in floods of tears giving the keys to the hire car lady, just going, I don't need this anymore, (laughs) like handing the keys over to her. But then he was stuck wherever in France he was. I was stuck where I was. I couldn't get to him, couldn't get to Monaco. So I had to stay in an airport hotel and then head back to Monaco the next day. I think it took him a couple of days to get back down to Monaco because... they didn't want to put him in an ambulance to start off with. They couldn't kind of work out how to transport him. Um, but I'm one of these weird ones as well. Like, even though it's kind of scary in the moment, I have to see it. Like, I know some people hate seeing it, but I have to go on and watch it. I don't know, maybe I'm a bit weird in the head, but I have to go on afterwards and watch the crash. Because everyone was like, don't watch it, don't watch it, don't watch it. I was like, no, I need to see it. So I have watched it a few times, to be fair. But yeah, that was probably the worst. It's it's the not knowing for me. Because like people say like, oh, don't pan the cameras back on. 
and when they're not moving 100%. But to me, I like the camera to pan back on him because if it just gives me that extra little bit of information, like, oh, he's got up or always oh, moving, that it just settles you a little bit for me. I, I remember that crash really well because I was live commentating and just like uh, your friend texted you, that was my first initial thought. Like I saw the crash laying there. I was like, oh, please move. At least move. Then you could see some movements and then you would go, oh, please respond to anybody. Please wave your hand or blink your eye. At least we know you. there's still somebody alive in there. Oh, it, it was a tough one. I have to say it was a really tough one and glad he came back. And glad he had this final happy end with the podium in the Tour de France, right? I think, like you also mentioned, it, it was important for him um, to actually have that. Um, did you ever go on a bike ride with Richie to train, to see how it feels, first-hand experience, how it is to suffer uphill, how scary it is to go downhill fast? Did you ever, like, just, just for your own interest, curiosity, to try to ride bikes with With your husband? So, <laughs> um, I don't think I'd ridden a bike since I was like, I don't know, 12 or something. <laughs> And <laughs> I think Richie had these like really cute kind of images in his head. It was one day going for like family bike rides with the kids. So, I think it was when he was with BMC, <laughs> they'd sent um, a city bike over um, to Tassie. And um, he was like, oh, let's go out for a bike ride. So we just went on this very flat kind of like um, walking slash cycling path. And I think his image just evaporated instantly as I'm riding along going, oh, oh why am I wobbling so much? I don't like this. I don't like this. And he's going, it's because you're going so slow. Hurry up. <laughs> and then I think we tried one more time after that. And there was this kind of... Um, The path we were going on eventually came to like a road. So to kind of stop kids flying out into the road, there's like those barriers where there's a barrier on kind of the left side, a bit of a gap and then a barrier on the right side. <laughs> and Richie just went through it like seamlessly without stopping or anything. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure how I'm going to like get through this. And I think I slowed too much, then I sped up too much and like ended up kind of crashing into this these barriers. And Richie was just like what on earth are you doing <laughs> i was like i don't know so then we went to the maldives a couple of years ago now and um they give you bikes to kind of go around the island and they gave us two with like the seats on the back for the kids and richie was like not a chance of you taking any of our children on the back of that bike <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was like i saw a tricycle at someone else's villa he was like, i'm gonna ask him if they have a tricycle so he asked the concierge guy to get me a tricycle with a basket on instead so i had a tricycle for our last holiday <laughs> Man, I, I've known Richie for, for a long time, and I would just love to see him in, in dad <laughs> mode. I, I would love it, because that was that was always such a switch that you had to flip, right? Like, you'd come back from a race, and all of a sudden, you'd hear, you know, you'd walk in the top door, and then all of a sudden, I'd hear my wife, hey, it, you know, you're on kid duty now, and then the, the bottom door would, would, would shut, and she would go out and, and do her thing. It's really starting to feel like winter around here. And I know that when most people think about trail forks, they think about mountain biking season. 
but there are also a ton of features and layers geared for winter activities like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and snowmobiling. Right now, you can get global access to the app with 30% off for our final sale of the holidays. If you're headed out fat biking or Nordic skiing, use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check the snow forecast right in the app. See slope angle and the avalanche forecast and filter the map for whatever kind of winter activity you've got planned. And of course, you get favorite features like the popularity heat map and trail reports. This 30% off deal is for Trail Forks Pro with Outside Plus. So you will get all the goods from the outside network. Unlimited digital content, films and TV shows, and expert-led online courses. Get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies without worrying about shipping over the holidays. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. But another th question I need to ask about living with a professional cyclist is their diet, right? Richie is one of the most extreme people when it comes to, to diet. What... Did you have to do when Richie was in that mode of cutting weight? How did you stay sane with any food that was in the house? Um, did you have to um, keep a little stash for yourself off to the side? Or like, what is it like living with a professional athlete when they're trying to cut weight? I, I never find a problem because I refuse to change. <laughs> So it was more Richie. So yeah, I would hide a few things from him if like any because his weakness is chocolate, chocolate and ice cream. Toblerone. Ice cream attended. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. We've kind of killed that. Someone bought him. Simon Gerrans bought him a four kilogram Toblerone when he crashed in 2017, and his manager at the same time bought him a box of about 20 normal sized ones, and I think he didn't eat one for a while after that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just didn't really, I probably wouldn't have things in like ice cream because you can't hide that. But chocolate and stuff, I would just hide away somewhere. He's really good though. He sniffs it out. You have to keep changing your hiding places. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't really change much because I was just like, I'm not an athlete. I don't need to eat like you eat. Um, so we just kind of work around it. Um, he, he'd just have more veggies. I'd have a few chips. Um, whereas he'd have his rice or whatever, like, but yeah, I didn't change much. So it wasn't hard for me. It was probably just harder for him. <laughs> so uh, for my wife, sometimes she was complaining that um, in her eyes, it was so easy for me to get skinny. And she goes, this is not fair. You haven't put on an ounce of weight since we got married. And and I, I have given birth to six children. So I, I obviously do not look like at the day of our, our when we met first, did you have to go through this struggle as well? Go, damn, he just put off like five kilos within a week. Why can I not do that? It was it somewhere like you go, I'm a little jealous that he can reduce weight so fast or you go, whatever, it's his job. That's what he has to do. No, um, like Bobby said, R Richie's very, was very extreme. Like at the end of a race, he'd always have like a binge day. So end of season, he would go nuts for like a good week, I'd say, where he'd just eat pretty much anything in sight, to be honest. 
and you join in because it's so hard not to. He's got like all these bars of chocolate and whatever else so you're joining in, which was fine while he's putting on weight with you. But then obviously at some point he goes back training and I'm not going back to any sort of training. So yeah, he'd drop it off. So that was probably where I struggled the most, where I was like, I kind of felt like he'd been my feeder for a while and then he just abandoned me and got all skinny <laughs> again. Um, so yeah, that was probably when I struggled the most. Um, but because he's so extreme when um, it comes to the off season. <laughs> and another question, my, my wife and me having, we sometimes joke and laugh in a funny way, right? A really innocent, funny way. We, we just laugh and go, she goes, man, you're to the Franks. That's just a kid's birthday. Giving birth is the hardest thing on earth. And I go, well, giving birth, that's like five to 10 hours. To the Franks is three weeks, every day, five hours. Tour de France is much harder than giving birth. So we often in the car when we like uh, go somewhere in town to, 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 to the movies, we just laugh at, uh, at it that we both think our life has been harder than the, the ones of our partner. Uh, do you have any experience like that? Um, I don't think we really have, to be honest. Um, I probably joke that I've sacrificed more. Um, like just trying to get like a cup of tea out of him or something i'll be like i gave birth on my own go and make me a cup of tea <laughs> yeah. um, so it'll be the odd thing like that but no i must admit I, I, there's not yeah we don't really don't really go into that side of things much An another thing i've always been curious about because obviously my wife um went through a lot with me over my my career but you're you're like a mama bear you know, like, and you, you don't have two kids, you have three kids, you know, Richie being your, your third kid. What is it like from a standpoint of when people write something? I mean, there's so many of those keyboard warriors out there or, you know, bad commentary. I mean, does it really affect you and you just want to like find that journalist or find that person that's got some alias on Twitter that's talking bad about your man? Um, or, or do you just like let it go? It's part of the job. Um, mostly try to let it go. Um, I've kind of taught myself everyone's entitled to their opinion. I switch when it's sent to me. That's my, that's kind of my line. Like if you want to sit on Twitter or wherever and slate him, you know, you're entitled to your opinion, but that shouldn't be forced on me. So that that's my line. If they tweet me about it or Instagram me or whatever, that's when I struggle to not respond and have ended up in a, a few arguments. <laughs> um, but yeah, in the main, I, tr I try to let it go. Um, commentary is a bit different because even though I feel like I know a decent amount about cycling, tactics... I'm a, not the best. So I tend to think, oh, they know more. It's when um, it's when it goes outside of the tactics and it's kind of personal stuff, if there's anything like that in there, or just lack of knowledge. That's when I'm a bit, I get a bit bit antsy and a bit, a bit vocal. <laughs> Probably more than I should do. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> exactly good for you stay your ground <laughs> so now that rich is retired is there the temptation to actually switch off social media and go you know what we live in tessie a quiet life we don't need any of that or i mean it's also 
it feeds your curiosity. I mean, there's the most wonderful and weird and bizarre things you can find out on social media. Do you ever think of switching it off or, or you keep it? Um, I like it. I know there's I know there's bad stuff out there, but I love social media, especially since I've moved away from a lot of my family and friends. Like it's the easiest way to keep in touch with people and the easiest way to kind of see snippets of their life. So me personally would never come off it. It's too too handy, like it too much. Um Richie has a bit of a love-hate relationship with it. Um there's certain stuff he's not on at all. He's he's still on his Instagram, but he does he's not he doesn't post much. Um he he's definitely one who likes likes the quiet life. Um and well I don't he's probably not even been on I think he's maybe posted twice since he's retired on his Instagram and that's it. Um, his Twitter, he never went on during races. Um, hated going near that on races. Um, and Facebook, he's not been on for years. Um, so, yeah, he's um, he definitely has more of a love-hate relationship with it, whereas I just love it. <laughs> well, I have to say um, I was thrilled the other day when I went on Instagram and there was a little message that said, Richie Port is following you. I was like, <laughs> wait, you haven't been following me? Like you've been on your, uh, you know, we're, we're longtime friends. <clears throat> we used to work together. And gosh, now <laughs> after you retire is when you, when you follow me? Like, wow, th thanks. But I almost took a picture of it because it was so funny. Um, <laughs> but I mean, now I, through everything that you've said, um, you obviously are a very strong woman, woman, and you've lived through some ups and downs of both your husband's successes and, and struggles. But there's a lot of women in your situation now that, you know, their husbands are, are about to start racing or still racing. What advice would you give to those young women uh, who are married to professional cyclists in order to survive and, and thrive the way that you and Richie have? Um, just not to lose yourself. I must admit, that's one of the things I probably wasn't very good at at all. Um, like, if you move in countries as well, like just you've got to throw yourself out there and whether it's learning the language or or trying to keep your hobbies, like just just don't lose yourself. It's so easy um, for your life to just revolve around them, which is fine and you can manage with that because let's face it, the careers aren't forever. But but it definitely makes it harder. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably my would be my key piece of advice. Just make sure you don't lose yourself. Um, keep whatever bits. You, you already do and already love um yeah so that it doesn't become all about them because <laughs> it very easily does and um, let's have a little quick look into the future you moving to tasmania what are you expecting there living on a ranch living in a city living on a countryside or whatever buying a houseboat um any sort of jobs you two want to do or you want to take a year off and just travel the world? What's the future like for you, four of you? So, yeah, we're moving to Tassie in January um, and moving to, it's a city, but um, quite a 
quite uh, not not small because it's a big city but population wise small so it's quiet compared to what I'm used to um so yeah it'll definitely be a a much quieter way of life but we'll be straight into like full-on family mode because Luca starts school in February um so we'll be straight into that routine um and job wise we're kind of just playing it by ear to start with we kind of just want to get settled get the kids settled um Richie's had a few things um sent his way that he's looking at um that he's quite interested in um and he's always kind of, he's got very um tradey family kind of bricklayers builders electricians so he's quite interested in like doing something with them as well um so he's kind of got that in the background as well so yeah to start off with it'll just be kind of easing into that and getting the kids settled and then see what comes our way really and what we fancy doing it's been that long like Richie's obviously been on a bike for so many years now you just you just don't really know what it is that's gonna what you're going to enjoy and you don't want to just do something for the sake of doing it like we're in a lucky enough position that we don't need to rush into anything so I think that's going to be the key just taking our time and make sure what we're doing next is something that we actually love and we want to put our time and energy into I tell you, you are one brave woman, um, Manchester <laughs> to Monaco to Tasmania. Um, yeah, I don't think you could get very different between the three of them, to be fair. <laughs> it's quite a resume, quite a resume. But yeah, take take your time. I mean, like you said, you know, you're, you're in a position where you don't have to just jump into to stuff. But um, wow, exciting. And so yeah. how old is Luca now? You said he's starting, is he five? He's four. He'll be five in June. So he's going into kinder when we get there. And Eloise is how old now? She's two. She two. was two in September. So yeah, she's um she's going to be a feisty little thing, that's for sure. <laughs> Takes after her mama. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Slightly scares me for the teenagers, but yeah. <laughs> Well, Gemma, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to someone with a totally different perspective. We've I've always been curious, you know, obviously my wife went through it, but we don't really talk about it, but man, to imagine your little text group with Sam Bennett's wife, uh Caleb Ewan's wife, Michael Matthews' wife, G's wife, um, man, I bet you you could have put that on YouTube and and made a made a show out of that. <laughs> but thank you so much for being who you are, keeping your identity through all this, and and supporting. You know, uh, I'm going to say it: a fantastic human being in in Richie Port, and I wish you and your entire family all the best in retirement. And hopefully, we will uh, see you again, maybe down in Tasmania when we make it down there for a vacation or if you guys ever come up to uh, to the U.S., it would be great to see you guys. But thank you so much for taking the time of your, your daughter's uh, nap time to sit and chat with us and share some of your experiences here on Bobby and Jens. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks to Gemma Port for being our guest. Thanks everyone for listening. Please give us a five-star review and don't forget to share us with your friends. The show was a Value News production in association with Shock Giraffe, 
To producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Musser. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens, and share your cycling stories with us. I know you have already heard a little bit about Trailfox Pro from Bobby and me, but it's our final sale of the holidays, and I don't want you to miss out on 30% off. On top of global access to the Trailforks app, this subscription also comes with Outside Plus. That means you get benefits across the outside network. And as a member, you're supporting incredible projects like Pink Bike Racing. If you haven't checked out season three on Outside Watch yet, I highly recommend it. It's my kind of reality TV with 10 mountain bikers competing for $30,000 and a pro contract. Outside Watch also has more than 600 hours of member-only content, including every Warren Miller film ever made. And you get full access with Outside Plus. I know what I am doing over the holidays. This is our last sale of the holidays, so get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies. And by the way, you don't need to worry about shipping. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Thank you.